0: How are you doing today? Good. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. You mind if I take a moment to a true confession? <laughs> well, yeah, I just don't do it uh, too much. We uh, yesterday we had our class one-on-one and I got to share one of these things that, yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm just becoming a nicer person. Probably not. T- but I think it's probably tied into becoming older And I told them, I was sharing with them yesterday, some of the people over lunch, that I just cry easier now. I know, it's kind of sad, isn't it? I'm not like I'm a big ball baby or anything, but I got to fight back tears. I, I had a wedding yesterday, and I was telling them, this is my true confession. Whenever I stand as the officiate and I see that bride coming, it just wrecks me. And I, and I really, I've got I've to swallow hard and be very professional and make sure that I don't cry. And it's not my bride, but it, there's just something about the beauty and radiance of a bride. It just knocks me out. But, you know, there's other things nowadays that make me cry too. And uh, I love art. And I'm not an artsy person. I mean, if you asked me to draw a picture, it'd be stick people, you know, look like a kindergartner. But I love art. I love art things. Uh, I love framed pictures. A couple of weeks ago, I saw this powerful picture by Rembrandt. It's called The Return of the Prodigal. And I got to do just a little bit of research on it and to find out kind of the heart of Rembrandt behind the art and how it come together. Very powerful. Very moving. I have pictures in my office of uh, pictures that Creeksiders have painted or drawn and, and they're just awesome. They're, they're powerful because I look at them and I go, someone did that piece of art for me. I just love pictures, different uh, landscapes, ocean scenes. I love music. Well, not really country and (laughs) western. But listen, give me me Mozart to Coldplay. I'm good. I love, I just love listening to the different riffs, the storylines. And I'm one of those guys, I have to tell you, that I could probably listen to one song if I really like it 10 times in a row. I mean, just kind of keep playing it. I love movies. I love powerful movies with great storylines, powerful cinematography where, they, where the director and the producer, they put all this stuff together that just blends and, and, and paints a powerful picture as you watch it. And then it's supported by great, by great song and it adds texture to the story. And in recent years, I can hardly go to a movie anymore without, you know, kind of deal a little bit with the sweaty eye syndrome. I mean, just take Tin Cup. (laughs) No, no, I know. I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking. Oh, yeah, golf movie. But listen, I love it when Costner, as he goes through this, the underdog, he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, he's got one shot to win it. All he has to do is make it. He can take it easy and go for broke, or he can just go for it. You know what he does? He just drops a ball, goes for broke, takes the ultimate risk into the water. And then he does it six, seven more times. I love that. That moves me emotionally because I said, that's how I want to live. I want to be a risk taker. I don't want to play it safe. And literally, it moves me emotionally to see something like that happen. Swing vote. Probably not many saw this movie, but this one wrecked me big time. I saw it with Trina in the Pleasant Hill Theater and as the movie credits are going down and rolling, I got one of those really big knots in my throat. I mean, one of those where you just, if I would have said anything, man, I would have broke. And as we're walking out, Trina goes, what do you think? And I just kind of shook my head. And I just kind of said, we'll talk in a minute. And it wasn't until we got down going back home on 680 that I was really able to begin to articulate how I felt about that movie. It touched me in a way that I haven't been touched in years. And the reason is, is because it took me back to where I came from. There are so many similarities in that story to my life. It just wrecked me. And literally, there was a time later when I I just kind of cried. Then there's Saving Private Ryan. I love that movie. Every time I see that movie, I, I, I tear up because... There, there's something about that graveyard scene at the end when Ryan, who's been saved, men gave his life to save him. He's over the grave, and, and he goes and turns to his wife, and his family are there with him, and he looks at him, and he says, tell me, tell me I've earned it. Tell me I've lived a good life. And I thought, man, that's, that's how I want to be. Because there's the person of Jesus Christ. Not only the, the military people, that some of you are sitting here, and I know that you, a lot of our people here have family that are serving over there, and I so appreciate that, and that moves me. But secondly, that Jesus Christ gave his life for me, that at the end, I want to be able to say, God, tell me I earned it. Not that I could earn it, but tell me that I earned what you did, that I lived it out, that I, I lived a good life. Remember the titans that made me cry big time. Deeply moved my senses concerning racial injustice and prejudice. I teared up like a sissy man on this one because when Denzel is standing up for injustice and he gets unjustly treated, it just moved me. And it was literally one of the launching pads for me personally to say, I am going to do what I can to build relationships in our community with the African-American brothers. And, and it's what really led me to a relationship um, to really pursue it with Pastor Keith Williams in Second Baptist Church. Because I said, I, I see what, I mean, I, don't, I can't feel it totally, but I was moved in that movie. And it also challenged me to make sure that I pastor and that I deal with things like homosexuality in a Jesus way, not a church way. That we understand they're not the enemy. And they need our love as much as anybody. And we're not going to be a church. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be a person that sits there and and castigates them and puts them down. But I'm going to love them. Like Jesus would. Movie wrecked me. Then of course, there's Caddyshack. Are you kidding? (laughs) I love that movie. That is a great movie. And then Tommy. Remember Tommy Boy? (laughs) They're driving in that car. They hit that deer. They think it's dead. They throw it in the car, and the deer wakes up, and it starts thrashing, and it just thrashes the whole car, and it takes those guys on and it just rips them apart, and then they're just sitting there at the, after it's done, and I just, I just, I cried laughing at that, and then remember What About Bob? I love that movie. Bill Murray's one of my favorites, but I love What About Bob. I think it's because I'm in the people profession, I've had a couple of Bobs in my life. Oh, they haven't showed up on vacation, but it felt like it. And those movies, they're silly, they're absurd, and, they, and, I, and I just start crying sometimes because they're so funny. And then, of course, there's the classic, that probably one of the best all-time done movies is Forrest Gump. It's creative. It tugs at your heart. It's emotionally moving. It challenges you. It, it's thought-provoking. It, it has life-teaching lessons and applications don't you love that? Really, there's absolutely no guarantees in life. Why? Because life is like a box of chocolates. You open it up, and you're really not sure what you're going to get. What does Forrest show us? He teaches us about unconditional love, respect for all peoples, regardless of their class, their race, their socioeconomic standing. This is a guy that is one of the most prominent people in history during that time in the movie, and yet he is so not filled with himself. He realizes that true smarts are not always real smarts. Why? Because stupid is, stupid does. And at the end of the movie, there's this poignant place, this this place where Forrest is standing next to this tree. He just buried the love of his wife, Jen, who really has never loved him back to the way that he's loved her. And he begins to reflect about life and he ponders what his philosophical mother and lieutenant Dan did they have it right and he ponders this question do we have a destiny or are we all just floating around kind of accident like like a feather on a breeze And then you begin to see throughout in different scenes you've seen throughout scenes you just see this little feather and it just kind of starts, and it just kind of begins to float. And really, friends, isn't that kind of the question that we're always asking? I mean, are we more than just kind of this chance and happenstance in life? Are we just kind of like a, a little feather that's blown in the breeze, and okay, Sarah sera, whatever will be, will be? You know why it's so easy to live with a floating in the wind mentality? Because it really diminishes our responsibility and makes it easy to excuse our selfishness. See, the Bible, friends, is really clear about our destiny, about our purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for you, for me, for this place. And it will always live. It will always be about living beyond ourselves and bigger than ourselves. But it's so easy for people without destiny and purpose to simply live this way. Just kinda just whatever wherever life takes me, I'm gonna go. But friends, I have a responsibility. I have a calling. I want to make sure that we never forget as a church we have a destiny, a calling, and a purpose. Because see, there's really three options that we have as we live life and we go through life. Number one, you can waste it. You can waste your life. And we see people do that all the time. There's plenty of ways to do this, isn't there? I mean, just look around. Many people simply exist, seldom living beyond or going beyond their own personal orbit because it's all about them. Uh, They give little of themselves to anyone or anything. The Bible would probably reference that as simply saying, it's, it's wasting your life. See, when you live a life that's killing time, really all you're doing is a, sl- a simple and slow form of suicide. See, people all the time that are wasting it. But you can spend your life too. Actually, that's just a given. Every one of us in this room is gonna spend your life. You cannot save any part of it. See, our, our, our life and our time is a commodity that God says, I want you to steward and I want you to oversee it and take care of it. It's the currency that we exchange as we give ourselves to our career, to our family, to our friends, to a hobby, to a ministry. Listen, if you're an average American, you will spend 27,380 days on this planet having God breathe destiny and purpose as a part of your life. The determination is, will you waste it, spend it, Think about it. 75 years sounds like forever, but when you start marking it off at 27,800 days, man, that's quick. And start thinking then if I, okay, 27, man, how many do I have left about? 10,000? Wow. And it begins to kind of kind of just snap the slack out of your sails that man, I got to be about doing what? Well, God wants us to not just waste it, not just spend it, but he wants us to invest it. He wants us to invest our lives. This is the best way. It's also the most biblical way. He teaches us that we are to invest for eternity and for eternal purposes. That we would living beyond where we presently are. Oh, build our present, but that we would be clearly tethered to the eternal so that we can make a difference. As you read the teachings of Jesus, it's clear that he talks so often about this investing of our lives. Luke chapter 19, Matthew chapter 25. That I want you to live beyond the here and now. But never forget your here and now continues to establish not only your present, but your eternal future and reward. But it is so easy with with America and with our Americano-Christianity that we become consumers and so focused on what's in it for me. And we forget what God calls us to give back to Him and to His creation. Friends, I'm convinced of this. You cannot experience the ultimate spiritual and eternal benefits without living intentionally to invest your life. Luke chapter 4, Jesus' first talk in the synagogue, He makes these profound statements. Let me read him to you, Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 18 and 19. He opens the scroll for the first time. stands before the people, and he says, The Spirit of God is on me. He has anointed me to do what? These are the, the, This is Jesus' mission. Preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to recover the sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, let me just insert there. See, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're representatives of him. We're to be his hands extended. This could read this way. The spirit of the Lord is upon Terry. The spirit of the Lord is upon Donna. The spirit of the Lord is upon John. The spirit of the Lord is upon Don. The spirit of the Lord is upon Jackie. Put your name there. Because he's anointed you, set you apart to preach good news to the poor. He sent you to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to those who are bound. To recover the sight to those who don't see spiritually and to release the oppressed and to proclaim this is the year of the Lord's favor. See, to preach the good news to the poor loved ones is they're the have-nots of life. And I don't have time to unpack this truth. I'm going to do it some other time. But the Bible and Jesus in the Bible talk so often about the responsibility of those who are going to be about his kingdom and follow him. Our responsibility to never forget, but to be mindful of the poor. And and, and I just um, listen, let me just challenge you a little bit here. And and there's balance and perspective to all of this. But in our Americano capitalistic society, which I'm all for, it is easy though to say, we don't have responsibility for the poor. Let them pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And that is not the message of Jesus Christ. I know we can talk about enabling and codependency, and we need to be aware of that. But ultimately, we better have a heart for the poor. Because if we don't, our heart will shrink. And we will just become consumed with our own capitalism. So Jesus says, I I want you to be ever aware of that. I want you to help the poor. I want you to help the oppressed. I want you to help the people that can't fully do it themselves for whatever reason. So I want to look at a familiar passage and parable this morning. A parable is simply an earthly story with a real heavenly truth and message. Many of us may be familiar with this story. It's about a certain lawyer, very religious. He probably knows God's word. Unfortunately, he knows it so well, his heart has begun to shrink. And he's literally miles from God. So he encounters Jesus. And he wants to know, tell me about eternal life. And so Jesus kind of confronts him in a very loving and gracious but straightforward way. Because this guy wants to justify himself. But Jesus won't have a part of it. And Jesus does what he's so... I just love how Jesus does this. The guy asks... And Jesus Jesus doesn't answer the question. He asks him a question. And then he tells him a story. So let's pick it up at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Well, just then a religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. To get that religious squal- uh, scholar, he wants to test the teacher. What do I need to do to get eternal life? How can I know I can get to heaven? Well, Jesus said, "Hey, dude, what's written in God's word? How do you interpret it? You know what it says. How do you interpret it?" Well, he said, "You know, you got to love the Lord your God with all your passion, your prayer, your muscle, your might, your intelligence." And, and, and that you got to go love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. That's all Bible. The good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. See, that's the—that's a lot of times the problem I think with church people, not Creeksiders. Church people. See, we 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 know the word. And I and I always get nervous when I hear people say, "Pastor, we just got to go deeper." Go deeper, listen. What what good is depth going to do you if you're not already doing what God says to do? I think deeper, just like this guy, it becomes a loophole to justify what we're not doing. And so we're going to say stuff like, "I just want more. I need more." And we do but not at the expense of doing what we already know. Some of your translations will say, trying to justify himself, the one that I'm reading from today says, looking for a loophole, he asked Jesus. (laughs) You ever heard this one? How would you define neighbor? What is so? How would you define so? You know, we want to parse everything now. I know what it says, but what does it really mean? Oh, give me a break. I'll tell you what it means. So Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to put this guy back on the spot. So he says, I'm going to tell him a story. Jesus answered by telling a story. There was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest gets this now, a priest, religious guy was going down the same road. And when he saw him, notice the word. It says he angled. Angled across to the other side. That's really the idea of it. I'm going to angle. I'm going to work my way out of this. And then there was a Levite religious man who showed up, and he also avoided the injured man. Now, these next two words, a Samaritan, these people were the listening to Jesus, they would have thought, Yes, now we've got the real villain. He's probably going to finish him off. Because as you know, Samaritans and Jews were enemies. It would have been like an African American in a Ku Klux Klan. It was, it was significant enmity between them. So these guys are these Jewish guys thinking, All right, here's the bad guy. Oh, but Jesus turns the table and he says, A Samaritan traveling down the same road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. Notice the heart. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. And then he lifted him up on his donkey and 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 he led him to the inn and he made him comfortable. And in the morning, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper saying, Just take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back here's Jesus again what do you think I can just see Jesus kind of looking at him what do you think which one of these three became the neighbor now you define for me what a neighbor is and what a neighbor does well the guy's pretty bright Well the one who treated them kindly, of course, the religious scholar responded. And so Jesus says very clearly Go do the same. That's your definition. See, loved ones, that's our call. Go and do the same. So how do we how do we live out a life to be able to make ripples? How do we live out a life so that there's destiny And we're not simply a feather that just blows into me. It can only happen when you do it intentionally. I want to give you three simple things. Number one, be concerned with what concerns God. We have to be concerned with what concerns Jesus. Focus on this. Don't lose sight of this in your life, loved ones. What does God think about me? This is the questions I'm asking myself. What does God think about me? What I do? How I'm living. What does he think about those? What is God's heart for those who are far from him? Kind of like this guy that's just a beat-up heap in the middle of the road. Because how he thinks about them is how I have to make sure that my heart is calibrated to be thinking about them in the same way. This parable clearly delineates what matters to God's heart. It's helping people. It's touching the oppressed, the broken the poor, those who can't help themselves, investing our goods toward the needs of others. We can't get beyond that. And that can only happen, friends, with intentionality to say we're going to live beyond ourselves. We're going to move ourselves out of the typical mentality of of the Americano Christian that says, I'm going to be a consumer. I'm going to get mine and ours. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor and theologian during the Nazi regime, one of my favorites, historical people, makes this incredible statement back in 1939 as he's being uh, imprisoned by the Hitler regime. He says an authentic church is only one that lives for others. Why? Because Jesus is the church, and he lives and gave himself for others. And we cannot be an authentic church loved ones if that's not how we're living. So we have two choices to make. Every day of our lives, we can live with these two options. Will I live for myself with a sense of growing selfishness or will I live the way God intended me with a growing sense of selflessness? The contrast is clearly seen in the Bible and it's lived out by Jesus' call and mission to us every day. I want to read something someone sent to me a while back because this really delineates the difference. It says this, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive loveless cheap sex, an accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic soul religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming and never-satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an, impot- an impotence to love or to be loved. Divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a life. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of trying to build community. But what happens when we begin to live beyond ourselves and embrace God's way? he brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard over time things like affection for others exuberance about life and serenity come about we develop a willingness to stick with things a sense of compassion in the heart a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people that they have been set apart for God and because of that we value them and we invest in them we find ourselves in loyal commitments not needing to force our way in life, but we're able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Why? Because we live as Jesus intended us to. Be. And there's a peace and a perspective and a proper pursuit that is always leading us forward with greater vision and destiny. What's breaking your heart that breaks God's heart right now? Is there anything? Secondly, invest in what people need. We see here that Jesus says, you've got to invest in what people need. Invest in meeting the needs of others. This, this stranger makes a serious commitment to another stranger that he had never met, he had never had a tie to. He never had a relationship with, yet Jesus champions Him and his willingness to invest in this man's need when he's beaten up and left for dead and broken. And in the process, literally they would have been enemies in that day. And Jesus says, that's where it starts. It starts in the heart. And Jesus does this work of a master artist and storyteller. He places these men in juxtaposition to one another to drive home the different heart that those who are going to be a part of Jesus' life to So he starts here with the priest, the religious guy, the one that everybody would have thought would have been the go-to guy. And what does he do? He angles it. He, he works every way that he can get away from touching this guy. He's the religious leader of the day. He's the one that everybody would have thought would have stooped, bowed down, touched, ministered, helped. But, but you know what? He probably ministered. On the basis of a position. I'm going to meetings, and that's where I'm gonna minister. Oh God, how many times have I done that? But you watch Jesus in the Gospels, he always ministered along the way. It wasn't about a position. But then you see the Levite. It says he passed by on the other side. This guy's an educated person of the day, man. He, he had it together. He studied the scripture. But as you study about the Levites in the Bible, you'll see that these people once had a great heart to serve God, but it soon moved toward formal heartless worship that was void of compassion and love for those in need. This passage and parable teaches that tree ministry has a little to do with position, And little to do with title, but it is simply a matter of the heart. And Jesus shows, you can't live this way with a whatever, so what mentality. There has to be an intentionality that when you see need, you're open to the Spirit's promptings and leadings to embrace it. And to give and to resource and to help it. So Jesus then pulls this major surprise in this story the Samaritan. The Samaritan not only sees need, but he stoops down and he invests himself at a physical and a financial level. He bends down, touches the man, he cleanses his wounds bandages him up. Then he picks him up and transports him, probably giving up total comfort and convenience. This would have been a rough road that would have gone uphill and downhill. And he, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put him on my, my animal, and I'm going to walk and transport him. And then he goes to the innkeeper, takes the guy in, and he says, listen, here's my gold card. Just rack it up, whatever you've got to do, but take care of this guy, and when I get back, we'll be ready. I'll cover the rest of it. Amazing. As I thought about as I was preparing this week, I was reminded again that Jesus always challenges those who wouldn't invest to invest, and He always again puts in comparison and contrast those who have versus those who don't have. What do you mean, Terry? Well, consider Luke chapter ten here. The guys that should have didn't. The guys that probably wouldn't did. You go to Luke chapter 21, there's this little widow, old, old little widow, comes in with, with literally a couple of pennies, drops them in the offering, and Jesus says, That is sacrifice. Because then there's these other people that are rich and well to do, and they're dumping money in the basket too, but Jesus says, They just gave what they wanted out of what they had that woman sacrificed. And Jesus is always challenging the status quo and the rich. Now, some of you are thinking right now, well, good, good. I'm safe. I'm not rich. Oh, yes, you are. Every person in this room is richer than at least 50% of the 6 billion people that inhabit this planet. Everybody in this room, you are filthy, stinking rich compared to everybody else on this planet. 3 million, excuse me, 3 billion people live on less than $2 a day in our world. I believe it's one billion that live on a dollar or less a day. And people don't like to hear this. I don't even know if I like it. (laughs) But I'm growing with a, a growing sense and acute understanding that I am convinced God placed me in these United States. To leverage what I have to make sure that I live beyond myself. And you may not like this, but I believe God put me in Creekside to make sure that we do that. That we leverage our resources beyond just here. And that we're always going to be challenged. We kind of up the ante because we are filthy, stinking rich. And you and I have been anointed. We have been called to reach and to preach to the poor, to the brokenhearted. And the key is will we live out that destiny? And that purpose. If our world... I was in missions board meetings two weeks ago. We were given this little handout that basically... If you were to break the world's population down today... To 100 people with all existing human ratios remaining the same as they are right now... This is what the world would look like. 57 people would be from Asia. 21 would be from Europe. 14 would be from the Western Hemisphere. 8 would be from Africa. 50% 50% of the wealth would belong to only six people. Can you imagine that? The other 50% would be distributed among 94 people. 70% of those 100 would be able, unable to read. Only one person would have a college education. One of my favorite missionaries is a guy named Jim Elliott. He arrived in Ecuador. In the 1950s, and his purpose was to reach an Indian group of Ecuador. He was encouraged early on by some of the encounters that he had, and he planned to visit another tribe. But before he was able to meet with that other tribe, him and four of his other missionary leadership team were killed, martyred on January 8, 1956. Elliot's body, along with his four other compatriots, were found downstream in a river. I talk a lot about journaling because it's such a powerful tool because it not only helps us learn from God, hear from God, but you know what? It, it, it causes our words to live beyond us. As I've said, my journals someday, hopefully my boys will be able to read them and learn from them, how a man of God works out stuff. I want you to see this quote. It was 60 years ago in, in three days. This is from October 28, 1949. 60, almost 60 years ago to the day. This is a famous quote from Jim Elliot. He says, he is no fool who gives up, who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Luke 16, 9. A few years later, he gave his life for the gospel. He says, listen, I'm going to roll the dice here. I'm going to give it up. You know why? Because he realized whatever this world has to offer him is absolutely nothing compared to what eternity has. And he gave his life and his resources and everything to make sure that he was preparing and tethered to eternity. Now, I want to say this about Creekside. You are an incredible giving church. I am always blessed by you. But as I say that, I'm going to continue to challenge us, to continue to say, are we committed to making a bigger ripple? I want you to watch this DVD because these are the things. Last year we received at our harvest offering over 50, uh, close to $50,000. One offering. And these are some of the things that we were able to do because of it. Canyon and we are collecting food and cash donations right now for the food banks of Contra Costa and Alameda counties as well as Solano counties and today we are here talking with uh, one of the big donors at Creekside Church and Pastor Terry what do you guys do to help out the food banks here? Well we want to make a difference in our community and we have a group of men oftentimes that go and serve at the uh, food bank and sort food.
1: And obviously it gives back to you as well tell me about the feeling it gives you. You
0: know our people really enjoy it. Our guys have a great time. They have Fun, but you do leave with a really good sense of serving other people and helping people in the community. That's what it's about. I don't know if you catched it, but it caught the words, but it says grace filled tears stain my face. And when you have been bowled over by grace and the love of God, there will be something that will continually grow in your heart that will not allow it to shrink, but to continually to grow, to be about what Jesus has called us to be about you didn't see Stephen Kelly who I'm so proud of that took a big step to go over to Bay Point and we've given them thousands of dollars and we're going to continue to support them but friends you got to hear this i, I, I don't want to, we're not slowing down as a church i'm hoping god gives me 15 more years here 16 more years and in that time i want to extend our mission's outreach i want the ripple to get bigger every every year That church you saw with all the celebration, that's probably one of the strongest missions churches in Open Bible. We bought the property for them. We helped pay for part of the building. We support them every month. They have a kindred spirit almost with who we are. They have already started another church 35 miles from San Marcos, Nicaragua. My goal, our goal, our vision here is that in this East Bay we can start three to five churches in the next 15 years because that will be the greatest evangelistic push that we can make not by just becoming big here but by going out there that will take sacrifice that will take pioneers that will take risk takers and that will take resources and you need to know that's what we're going to be about because if you want to be comfortable you want to be convenient this may not be the place because we're gonna push, we're, we're gonna give ourselves to the things that we know we can't ever. And that's the last thing, be motivated by a heart of compassion to invest. It's because of the man's heart. He saw the need, there was a compulsion and a compelling, Jesus said, that caused him to bend down and to give the gold card. People fully committed and consumed with Jesus Christ aren't consumed with their own personal safety and comfort, but above all else, they're more concerned about God's kingdom and life being extended here. People fully committed to Jesus, friends, will give freely and openly, knowing there's an internal investment and reward. I love what Louis Palau said. The church is like manure. You pile it up and it stinks up the neighborhood. But he says you spread it out. And it enriches the world, and that's what I want for Creekside as the worship team comes. There's four things there that we gotta do. God calls us to stewardship, Luke 19. Come and see everything that you have, loved ones, belongs to God. It's not ours. He's given us 75 to 80 years, and we're not just for ourselves, we are working to extend the kingdom for truly Christ followers. I want to think differently about God's plans. I want to think differently about the people that are far from God, and that is a stewardship. There's an allocation, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, calls us to be prepared. God says, I have prepared you for good works, Creekside, individuals, but you got to walk in them. You got to make a decision to be intentional about them. Then there's going to be an accountability. Matthew 25:19 says, friends, you and I will give an account someday. And just like in one of my favorite movies, Saving Private Ryan, I want to stand before God. I want to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Tell me I did a good job. Tell me I did the best I could do with what I had, with my resources, the limited skills, but that I leveraged them for the best and for the most. It was all about giving to what I could not lose. Because there's going to be a reward, and this is my question for Creeksiders today: Will we risk? Will we lay some things on the line? And will we be obedient that God is as big as He says He is, and that we really can make a difference in what we do in Martinez, the East Bay, in Are we? Can we believe that? Because it can't be business as usual. It can't be.